Uh, when, when did you first come here to First Assembly? What year was it? 1994, December of 1994. Um, that's when I met Charles. Um, I had just taken on the senior pastor role. I was an associate pastor at Grace and took on the senior pastor role in, in 94 and met Charles right away. He just moved here into town and um, we had, there's a guy named Bick Moore who kind of started this prayer network and he was after both of us and he was an old retired colonel and you just did what he said or just easier to do what he said than not do what he said. And so I, Charles has been a dear friend of mine. I actually spoke here a few years back. Um, and, and I'll tell you a story I told then, in case you weren't here, but Charles has always been one of my favorites. Um, I can't tell how many times that we've had heart-to-heart talks when he's going through something or I'm going through something or just, just all the time we spent together. And uh, I talked a lot about Charles in, in our congregation. And uh, one Sunday morning, I was, uh, we, every once in a while we'll talk about pastors and churches and pray for them. And I guess that morning I was talking about uh, First Assembly and Charles. And I was telling everybody, he's, he's the best pastor I know. I mean, he's, you know, as far as pure pastor, I mean, he's got some things he can work on, right? <laughs> but he's, just as far as the pastor's heart, I don't know anybody can touch him. And uh, I, I, anyway, so I, this one Sunday morning I was speaking about him and what a great guy he was. And, and then after the service was over, I was meeting a visitor, and some visitors, and I talked to one guy, and, and uh, I called him later that week, and just follow up with him, he says, I think we'll go down to the first assembly. <laughs> I think I oversold Charles. And, and, uh, <laughs> but, but he's been a dear friend. Uh, you, you are, uh, he's the real thing. And, and uh, he's, as I told Jim, you know, I'm a little worried about his attachment to Alabama football and now his grandkids. I mean, he's just so obsessed with them. Um, but I, I can't tell me times I've been in a situation where I've seen Charles minister to other pastors. Uh, he pastors pastors. And that's what I do now. I'm mean, I was the senior pastor at Grace and, and uh, took over Tuscaloosa Prayer Network. And our prim- one of the primary things we do is we pastor pastors. And nobody knows a pastor like another pastor. And so just we try to bring them together in unity. You mentioned last week we had a pastor's prayer summit in Camp Sumataga in uh, uh, I knew Larry, but I never got to know him real well. Man, what a guy he is. He just, he's, what a servant. And I know he's 50 some years old, but I think he's like stuck at 22 or something. Uh, what, what a delightful person he is. And of course, I, I know the, the Saffords and been friends with them. And uh, Debbie, in fact, is, is my administrative assistant. As you probably know, she really runs Tuscaloosa. Uh, the mayor's office and everything, you just don't know that, but he's, she's everywhere. Uh, anyway, I'm just so grateful for this congregation. Uh, I'm grateful for Charles. I've heard so much about you. He, he loves you, um, and, and I know that, that you love him, and, and that, that's, that's a great thing. And uh, Let me pray, and then we'll see what the Lord has for us. Lord, I, I thank you for... The, the friendships we have in this life, Lord, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And, Lord, the opportunity is there for us to engage and, and develop deep relationships with people in, in other congregations and in, in other 
ethnicities, um, nor just the privilege it is to be in a city where that's appreciated and honored. Um, Lord, we ask that you would be with Charles as if with his grandkids, he and Brenda, and Lord, that they would um, just enjoy this time away. And Lord, pray you'd bring life. Lord, you bring life here. Lord, you said your word does not go out and return void. So I'm just going to believe, Lord, that you're up to something. You're going to speak into our hearts tonight. And, and we uh, ask this with expectation. Lord, we are totally dependent on you. Uh, apart from you, we have nothing. With you, we have everything. All things are possible through Christ who strengthens us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention, next Monday night at Bethel Baptist at 630, we'll have a citywide prayer time. We do that about four times a year. And, uh, of course, you know what happens next Tuesday, right? So, you know, we want to, on Monday night, we just want to put our focus on the Lord. And he's the one in charge. Um, you know, we get caught up in the powers of right now and who's, who has power, who doesn't, and who's an influencer and who isn't. And it reminds me of a, a story of a friend of mine. I actually heard it from a seminary professor. He said, you know, 2,000 years ago, Nero, he was the ruler of the world, the known world at that time. He was like a deity. I mean, whatever he said is what happened. And so he had complete rule. And there was this guy named Paul who was uh, physically handicapped in some way. We're not sure how. And he spent a lot of time in prison and, and really, I mean, some of these prisons, the ones we think of are nice compared to where he was. And here, here's this old guy. No one knows he's alive. He's no comparison to Nero. And here 2,000 years later, people named their dogs Nero and their sons Paul. <laughs> you know, it, you, you think about, I, I don't know if you have, if you ever look around, I don't necessarily mean here because everyone here, you guys are all 10 out of 10 spiritually in every other way, but you look around, you look around at the church, look around the church and, and, and it's a mess. I mean, all kinds of, I mean, there's people, moral failures, failures of leaders, there's all kinds of, you know, just inconsistencies and hypocrisy and all that going on. I mean, you know, it hasn't changed in 2,000 years. It's been going on the whole time. And yet the church is advancing. It doesn't slow God down. He's accomplishing his purposes. And so we don't have to be perfect. We just have to go after him. Well, uh, you know, I'm a little discombobulated from an earthly standpoint about uh, next Tuesday. Or not even next Tuesday, just where we are now as a nation. It just seems surreal that things you see in the scripture about towards the end times that right is wrong and wrong is right. And, and, and that's how, in my lifetime I've seen that change. And I'm the narrow-minded, bigoted, dangerous person. I'm the one who is immoral, and you are too. Um, you're a problem that needs to be taken care of, and your voice needs to be silenced. And so there, there is, it's just weird to be in this. I, I have no idea what our children or our grandchildren are going to experience 
You think how much has changed in the last 20 years. And so, you know, I look at this election going, my, my wife was, was watching John Adams, the story of John Adams, and uh, it was a miniseries. And you've got these guys writing the, the Constitution, and you've got Thomas Jefferson, and, and these guys, they're arguing through things, they're working through things. And, and uh, she's watching that, and then she walks to the living room, and there's the presidential debate. It's kind of like, what, what is that all about? I mean, what, what did he call her? A vile woman or ugly woman or something? Nasty. And tell her she, if he was president, she's going to jail. And she's saying something equally back and thinking, this is what we got, you know? This is, they both got a rap sheet, and, and this is our choices. And so we, we can look and, if we could, if we could prescribe if we could say, okay, we get to set everything in order the way we want it to be. And, and we can make uh, right, right again, and wrong, wrong. And, and let's say we could cherry pick elected officials at every level and, and Supreme Court justices and put everybody in place and have this just great setup, you know, where everything's in order. That would be like a dream for us. Um, that'd be pretty cool if we could do that. Um, but we could do that and still miss God in the process. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, there is a... I want to go back to uh, probably, it was probably about a thousand years before the time, time of Christ. Actually, more than that, probably like 1,500 years before the time of Christ. You have the people who were in, in bondage in Egypt. They've been there for 400 years, people of God. They're abused, used, they have no life, they have no real property, they don't own anything, they're owned. And this opportunity is presented to them that there's this land that, that God has for them, promised land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Um, they're going to be able to go there and they're going to be able to worship God and freedom there and they're going to be able to have their own livestock and it'll be incredibly fruitful. They'll plant their own fields and incredibly fruitful. And it's just this ideal setup. The enemies are going to be driven away, and it's going to be their own land. And so compared to where they are, this is like a dream. It's like, can this even be? And that's, and that's the promised land. And so God works miraculously, brings them out of Egypt. They're on the way to the promised land. And uh, they, they uh, stop at a, this mountain, and Moses goes up, and he's spending days with the Lord, and he's getting the Ten Commandments while he's up there. And he's up there for a long time, and the people are going, he isn't coming back. I mean, look at all this fire and smoke and thunder and everything. There's no way he can survive that. He's not coming back. We've got we to gotta figure out what we're going to do here, so let's, let's make our own plan. And they, they made these calves, which I, I think they, in a way that they made them to represent the Lord, they, they, but they want to have something they can see and touch. Uh, but, you know, pretty soon, I mean, this all happens, bam, 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 pretty soon they're in all kinds of uh, inappropriate behavior and attitudes, and it's just a mess. And the Lord tells Moses, you need to go on down. Uh, people are in reverie, and we need to, uh, this needs to be confronted. So he comes down and, and uh, sees all this. And then he says this to them. 
This is Exodus uh, 33. The Lord spoke through Moses. Verse 1. Is that up there on the screen? Okay. Depart, go up from here, and you and the people whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt to the land which I have swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your descendants I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Parasite, the Hivite, the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. So they've really blown it. And God's saying, that's all right, I'm going to send you the promised land. Everything you can imagine, all the things I told you are going to be there. And you're going to, uh, I'm going to send an angel before you. He's going to wipe out any enemy that you might have. And you can just walk right in and possess this dream, this, this too-good-to-be-true uh, thing you've been longing for. It, it's, it's, it's yours. You, you, go ahead, go ahead. And then, but then he says something in the last part of verse 3. He says, for I will not go up in your midst because you are an obstinate people and I might destroy you on the way. So you can go ahead and go on. You can have all this life that, you, that I've presented to you. It's all going to be there. You can go on, but I'm not going with you. And what would you do? Here's this, everything that you, you can imagine that you want is right there, and, and you can go have it, but the Lord's not going to be with you. This is Moses' response, Exodus 33, verse 15. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go up with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? And so what Moses says is, you know, that, that stuff's great, but if you're not going, we're not going. There's no reason for us to go on. Because it's your presence with us that is distinguished. It sets us apart. And so we can go do all this stuff and I have you with us and we're, we're, we're not going to be anybody. And, and Moses is saying, I'd rather be in the wilderness with your presence than in the promised land without it. Man, what a great, if we could grasp that. I mean, it's God's presence that sets us apart, that sets the first Son of God apart from all the peoples of the earth, that sets the body of Christ. Now, I'm not sure what the Lord's seeing. I mean, what the world is seeing. I don't think they're seeing the presence of God. Um, I think we've got a lot of things in the way. But we need to reclaim that. It, it's the presence. It's the presence of the Lord. Now, I, I want, what I want to do is I want to kind of fast forward about 1,000 years, give or take 100 years. For a thousand years, we, 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 uh, they come out of Egypt, they come into the promised land um, under Joshua. They go through the time of judges, the time of kings. You've got Saul's king, David is king. Then David's son Solomon is a king, and, and uh, Solomon gets off track in, in the northern kingdom of Israel. The kingdom of Israel is split in two. You have the northern kingdom and you have the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom is primarily Judah with, with uh, Benjamin, the other one, the north uh, ten tribes. 
And so we've been through all that time, and the Assyrians have wiped out the northern kingdom of Israel. The northern kingdom of Israel had a bunch of corrupt kings. They didn't have one um, that was going after the Lord. So they ceased to exist. They were just decimated. And now we have the southern kingdom, and they've got good kings and bad kings, but they they are now the people of Israel. They represent Israel. It's not long longer just the kingdom of Judah. They're Israel. And and they've seen all this stuff happen, and they're getting away from the Lord. They don't, they don't really care about his presence. Now, they wouldn't say that, I don't think, but it was showing up in their lives. So God sends his prophet Jeremiah to speak to him. And, and Jeremiah, he says in... Uh, Chapter 2, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and proclaim in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember concerning you the devotion of your youth, the love of your betrothals, your following after me in the wilderness, through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first of his harvest, and all who ate of it became guilty. Evil came upon them, declares the Lord. So he's saying, Take them all the way back to the time when they came out of Egypt, brought them through the wilderness, and there was the, the, they experienced this intimacy with the Lord, the freshness of the relationship. I, I mean, I, I became Christian when I was 24 years old. Um, anybody here after became Christian after they're 24? So maybe I was the oldest one in this room. That became, my wife was seven, but at 24, I mean, I, I knew what it was like to live on the side of the tracks spiritually speaking. And, and, and so it's like I'm, I'm so amazed that the Lord found me, that he drew me to himself. And I remember those, those intimate times with the Lord and just, just blew my mind that the God of creation was in my life and had done what he had done for me and would use me for his purposes. And it's just incredible. Um, do you ever remember times like that in your life? And, and then there are times where you kind of still be doing all the stuff, but, but that intimacy isn't there. You don't even realize it. That's what was going on with them. And, and he said uh, in verse uh, 4, Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What injustice did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and walked after emptiness and became empty? They did not say, Where is the Lord who brought us up out of the land of Egypt? So he's saying, okay, we used to have this intimate relationship in your, your forefathers, and somewhere along the line they got off. And, and, and they are, uh, don't ask him, where's the Lord? And then they go down to verse 8. This is a great verse, by the way. The priest did not say, where's the Lord? And those who handled the law did not know me. The rulers also transgressed against me. And the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that did not profit. So let's put this in uh, contemporary language. These people are are religiously active. I mean, they're there. The, The pastors are pastoring. The teachers are teaching. The leaders are leading. And the prophets are prophesying. Now, they're not prophesying according to the Lord, prophesying according to Baal, but they don't know that. They think they're saying what the Lord's saying. 
And so you got all this religious activity. They're, they're in, man, they're singing the songs. They're coming to the, the picnics. They're, they're, they're going to Sunday school. They're dressing apart. The they're, they're listening to the, the, the sermons. They're, they're doing all this. But nobody is asking, where's the Lord? He's not in it. Is that a little scary? And, and we're all susceptible. The, the scriptures say that what happened of old was preserved for us for our instruction. What happened to them is a lesson for us. We can be the same way. And we could be going through all this activity and, and the Lord not be in it. It's his presence that sets us apart from all the peoples of the earth. Do, do, do people, do they sense God's presence in his people? Or are we just a special interest group clamoring for our rights? You know, politically uh, moving to get our man or woman in office regardless of the moral issues that at, uh, uh, at the moment or, or what, with that particular candidate. And I don't mean just right now. I mean talking about for years and years and years. And what, are, what do people see when they see us? Unbelieving world. Is it the presence of God? There was a, I can't remember his name. This took place years ago, probably 20 plus years ago. There was a, a Chinese pastor who was part of the underground church, a leader of the underground church in China, and he was in America, and he was on James Dobson, and he'd been in America for a while, going to go back to China. And he was interviewed on this program, and they said, well, what have you been most impressed with with the American church? And you know what he said? How much have you been able to accomplish without God? I don't think he's trying to be mean. I think he really was impressed. I mean, you got these incredible buildings and these seminaries and these TV programs and these radio programs and these polished speakers and these authors and books and Bibles and and all these tools and you got all this stuff. This is incredible. How much have you been able to do without the Lord? He didn't sense the presence of the Lord. Wow. (laughs) I mean, over in China... Especially at the time, underground church, you better have the presence of the Lord. It was not, that's all you got. That thing that distinguishes us from all the peoples of the earth. And so here we, are, here we have the people, uh, people of God in Jeremiah's day. They're, they're doing all the stuff. They got all this religious activity going on. I mean, they're singing the songs. They're, they're preaching sermons. They're reading books. They're, they're, they're doing all the stuff. Going to the picnics. They're, and, and everybody's busy. But nobody's asking, where's the Lord? So I'm not in it. Well, then he says something that I want us to look at a little bit. I'm going to use the board over here. That uh, when I first grasped, grasped this, it hasn't let go of me since. And it's in verse 13, Jeremiah 2. It says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So let me draw this out for you. And we talk about water in the Middle East, that gets people's attention, especially in the ancient Middle East, because there was, I mean, there never was enough water. 
and you're dependent on getting water out of wells and, and cisterns, as we'll talk about in a minute, and it might rain a few times. It's kind of like the last 45 days here where it hadn't rained. I mean, it just didn't, didn't rain much. And, and so water got their attention. And, and so God says, I, I'm the fountain of living water. By the way, I'm a really good artist, so I'm sure that you'll pick up on this. I'm this artesian well. I'm just this constant flow of pure water. The fountain of water just never stops. It's a continuous flow, all you could ever want. So he's referring to himself as the fountain of living water. The scriptures use a lot of water when I'm talking about the spirit of God, the life of God. He says, so here I am, I'm the fountain living water, and what you've done is you've gone over here and you've dug for yourself cisterns. Now, a cistern, they, they would carve a big hole in the ground, they'd plaster the hole, leave a narrow opening, have a real broad, big area in the bottom of that, and then they would get ditches and wherever they could, whenever it rained, they wanted the water to run off and go into these cisterns. And so the few times it did rain, they're collecting water in these cisterns. This is, this, this is something they don't understand. It would make a lot of sense to them. For us, it's kind of, what does that even mean? This is what it means. And so they would try to collect this, this water when it rained, this dirty, nasty runoff rainwater that would go into the cistern and then stagnate. And, and he's saying, You're, you want that? Now here I am, I'm an artesian well, a continual flow of living water. I mean, it's fresh and pure, never, it never stops flowing. And, and you've walked away from me and you've dug for yourself cisterns trying to get water out of them. So here's, here's what he's saying. I, I, I'm the giver of life. There's, there's no life apart from me. This is the creator and sustaining universe, the, the one who designed us and created us and who breathed life into us and, and, and who wants to fellowship with us and bring life through us. He's saying, you've walked away from me and you, you've dug cisterns. Now, we all dig cisterns. We go over here and we, we create this cistern, spend a lot of time working on it, trying to get something that's going to hold life for us. You know, it could, it could be drugs, it could be pornography, it could be, I don't know, something that's inherently bad, or it could be ministry. And the couple we met tonight, you, you were in India for 32 years, is that right? This can happen to missionaries. This can happen to pastors. I know because I've been there. And, and you come over, you dig the cistern, and it, it could even be your ministry. And you're working hard on it, and you're, you're trying to get something that's going to bring life and purpose and, and sustain you. And in reality, it's just a broke, it's a cistern. And by the way, it says these cisterns are broken. They, they don't hold water. They, they can't. It just seeps right through now, before I came to Christ, man, I was all over the place doing things. I tried everything I tried. 
And, and, it, and I was an optimist, man. I just wanted to burn out. I'd go dig another one. And the, the fact that the living God wanted a relationship with me blew my mind. And then to watch the transformation he brought from me inside out and then watch him impact other people, it just, I just couldn't believe it. Those, those days of intimacy with the Lord, we've all had them. But there's been times when, with the desire to do well, good intentions, I start digging a cistern. And it can be ministry. It can be family. I mean, anything apart from him, there's no life. It doesn't mean those things are bad or that we shouldn't. I mean, obviously, investing in family and ministry. And, and ministry, I mean, you could be working in the nursery like Debbie is right now, or children, Debbie Safford. And that's, my wife does the same thing. I mean, that's her calling in life is she works with kids. You don't have to be on the radio. You, know? you don't have to be a missionary for 32 years in another country. I mean, we're all called to be ministers. And so you can get your ministry thing going, and pretty soon that's where you're trying to somehow get fulfillment out of. Um, I'll tell you something else that can be. You're not going to like this. I don't like it. Uh, Alabama football. Which is close to this, I admit. It's close to that. But I remember as a kid, my father was a professor at university, and so we, we used to go to, uh, when the team would go out of town, stay at a, at, a, at a hotel, we would stay there with the players. He's a faculty representative. What can be cooler than that when you're 11 years old, 12 years old? Hang out, have breakfast with Coach Bryant, sit a few tables over. But um, it's in the 70s. I mean, you can count. Not too many times we lost in the 70s. And a loss was just devastating. Not like now. I have, I have a son who's 16. He's my biggest sports fan in the house. He loves football. And uh, it's been about the last eight or nine years that he's aware of football. And, 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 and just so happens we've won national championships. Uh, how many? Five? Four? How many has it been? I can't remember. You know, if, if we lose the game, it's like, what's that about? We're not national champions. You know, Nick Saban's only about 50% of getting national championships. I mean, that's a failure, right? If you got 50% on a test, that would never be a failure. Look at 50%. I mean, he just have no realistic view. All right, so, it, but, but we, can, we can create sports, or it can be hunting, or it can be, I've seen everything. It doesn't have to be inherently evil. It, it can be, you know, one of the things uh, I get sucked into now is you can be on the Internet for a few hours. I don't even know where you've been. I mean, it's just it, you go from one place to another, and it's not necessarily bad things. You're just, there's a lot of stuff to see, and, and you can just have mountains of time eating up in that. Um, and, and so you, you can pick your cisterns, and, and I'm, I'm praying that the Lord will put his finger on something for you. And, and so you have, this, you have these cisterns, and God says, really? The fountain of living water here, and you're going to turn from me, and you're going to dig these cisterns that can't hold water. Uh, he, he said a little bit earlier, uh, Jeremiah did, he says, you walked after emptiness and became empty. A lot of times we'll be all after this, whatever it is. Maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it's ministry or family or something. And then you just feel empty. Because it can't bring life. 
And so when God's church is doing this and walking away from this fountain of living water, God's not in it. He's, where's the Lord? He's not in cisterns. And so he says here, my people have committed two, two evils. And, and the whole message here is there needs to be repentance. Repentance is that you say, I am turning from this cistern. I'm, I'm turning back to the fountain of living water, and, and I want to drink of you. I want to, Lord, I want to, I want to pursue you. I want to, I want to uh, keep coming to you. That, Jesus says it, in, in the Greek, it's continuous action. If anyone is thirsty, let them come and drink and keep on coming and keep on drinking. And I will continually fill his inner, inner man with, what is it, uh, fill his belly with rivers of living water. Well, you could, that's the same thing going on here. You can keep drinking of me and there'll be life that you can't imagine. Doesn't mean life's easy, right? You still get cancer, you still have car wrecks. You still, we've done all this at our house, you know. Um, but there's life. And so, I, I, I don't know you well enough to know where you are. I just know you well enough to know you're like me and, and most people, and it's so easy for us to drift over there. Does anybody have any, Charles, did you guys talk every once in a while? Does anybody have any thoughts or? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's that one? What has four legs? This furry has a bushy tail. <laughs> I think it's a squirrel, but I'm going to say Jesus Christ. <laughs> All right, so have you got this firmly imprinted in your mind now? Isn't that, isn't that great imagery that the Scripture uses? So I just, this kind of sticks with me. And every once in a while I kind of run my life through it and go, okay, what, put this, overlay this over my life and go, where am I doing that? And usually it's when I start feeling empty and realize, wait a minute, something's not right. All right, now we're going to go to uh, David. So it's in the middle of it's in the middle of this time of coming out of the land of Egypt in the latter days before the, the southern kingdom is taken into captivity, and it happens during Jeremiah's time. Um, the the Babylonians come and just wipe them out. They don't destroy them like the northern kingdom. They just take them captive, a lot of them captive up to uh, Babylon. So in the middle, we got the rule of David. And, and David wrote psalms. And he wrote the psalm 37.4. Again, one of my favorite uh, verses. Do we have it up there? Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. All this is tied together, by the way. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So let's, let, let's diagram this. Can y'all read that? And...
All right, so uh, I'll ask you some questions. These aren't trick questions. These are hopefully be pretty obvious. What, what is it? What's our job? Our job is a delight. Uh, this word is a fascinating word, uh, Hebrew word. It it um, it means to be soft and pliable. It, it's uh, to be like putty in God's hands. So we're soft, we're pliable, we're like putty in God's hands. Just this attitude of Lord, you're everything. You you got you. you I'm totally yours. You do with me whatever you want to do with me. Um, you're it. You're the fountain of living water. There's nowhere else I can go for life. You know what's best. Lord, I want to give my life to you, and you use it as you will. You fashion me as you want to fashion me. That's what the word delight means, or the concept there, delight. So your job is what? Yeah, so delight. So think about what that word, I mean, that's your job. What's, what's his job? His job is to give us the desires of our heart. Now, this is kind of tricky. It was real tricky for me as an unbeliever because I had desires that were in my heart. I believe God put there for purpose, for belonging, for uh, intimacy, for... And, and I, I was digging cisterns everywhere. I mean, I, 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 if it was chasing girls, if it was... Uh, I went through a while there when it was even, it was even education. I mean, how bad is that? You know, where study, education is important. You need to, um, partying, social activities. I mean, you just name it all. I mean, I was in all those things trying to find life. And, and, and I was an optimist, so it would not work, but I would keep on trying. I'd just do another avenue for that. Uh, but those desires are ones that God had put in me. I just didn't understand them. I, mean, I was trying to get them met the wrong way. And so you have desires that God has put in you. And, and, and they're, they're, I think, uniquely fashioned to you. It's, it's who you are. It's who God designed you to be. There are desires that are in you. And the only way they can be met is by giving your life to the Lord. And then he will meet those desires. I remember for me as a, as a brand new believer, uh, the worst thing I could do is stand up in front of good people. I was petrified to do that. And I was real social, and I was involved in a lot of leadership things, but when it came to getting in front of people, man, I just, I, I might memorize what I had to do and just get over it. And I remember I would uh, got up and uh, right away share my testimony and see people laughing and crying and people coming to Christ, and it's like, through me? And, and begin leading people to Christ and disciple them, watch their lives change, and it's like, you got to be kidding me. It's like I was be- something there was being fed, this desire for purpose, to make a difference. And, and so God has put those in us. That's a good thing. And, and he's the only one that can meet those desires. So it's as we give ourselves to him, which was, the, I, I always thought, man, these Christians are like a bunch of robots, you know, they just, they they become given they, they become Christians and they just do whatever the Lord says and they don't have any, don't have a brain they don't have a heart. Well, I, I did. What did I know? But that's what I thought. When actually it's it's liberty. It's like all of a sudden you get to be who God's created you to be.
And, and I told people that because I was in Houston, I became Christ. It's like I was in this closet in the dark, and the door opened, and there was the Astrodome. This huge place. It's like, this has been here the whole time? And I've been in that closet? The godly sister is trying to get life out of it, and there's a giver of life that's, who will take residence in me. His spirit will dwell in me and use me. And so, this, this is, David had a handle on it. What, what, what are we supposed to do? We make ourselves soft and plow before the Lord. Lord the worship here was wonderful, by the way. I appreciate those of you who led it. I mean, it's, isn't it neat how you go different places and, and the Lord's there and he uses different musicians and different styles of churches and, and uh, there's life. There's life. I appreciate it. Um, so our job is to say, all right, Lord, I'm, I'm repenting. I'm going to turn away from, from my cistern. I'm just going to give myself to you. I'm going to delight in you. you you've got it all. And, and if you can do something with I mean, when I put my faith in Christ, I, I just heard the gospel. I, had, I was sitting in my car, and I had, to, I had this job with Shell. I was making money. I had position. I had a, a really nice car. I had the things I thought would make me happy. And, and I realized I'm just empty. And I, when I came to Christ, it, it was like, I don't, want, I don't want my life. You take it. You got me. If you do anything with it, you do something. Because all I did is screw it up for 24 years. So if you do something, you do it. I mean, that's, that's what we should be like every day. You know? But so when I, I, it was hook, line, and sinker for me when I came to Christ. And, and so that, that's what he wants us to continually stay in that position. To keep on coming, to keep on drinking. And he'll keep on filling and overflowing life in us. All right, so our job is to delight ourselves to the Lord. His job is to give us the desires of our heart, right? Here's the problem. Here's what most of us do. We try to cut him out of the picture. It's never going to work. It's just not going to work. I mean, I, I, I'm exhibit A here, all right? I, I have lots of years of experience in this. Um, certainly 24 as an unbeliever and even some spots here and there as a believer. We try to delight ourselves in the, in the desires of our heart. It's just never going to work. And, and these desires don't have to be, you don't have to be drugs, sex, and rock and roll. I mean, it doesn't have to be. It, it, it can be good things. You could go on the mission field doing this, right? I mean, you probably have known people over the years that you guys served with that it, it, it's like they've, they've given their lives to the ministry, but they haven't given their lives to the Lord. And, and again, we all go through times like that. And so you can't cut him out. All right, this, this is cistern digging here. This is going, I'm going to pursue it to give me life. And, and I would argue that I, I think this is a picture of the church. Well, you know, that shouldn't be a shocker. I mean, this is Israel over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. This is the message for us. It can be us over and over and over again. At some point, we've got to say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. 
I'm, I'm tired of emptiness. I mean, when I have the fountain of living water who would do things extraordinary, exceedingly extraordinary about all we could ask or think, who's, who's there in our lives to work his will and good pleasure, who, who will bring, I don't want to miss that. So I'm going to get rid, I'm just going to walk away. And you don't leave your family, you don't leave your church, you don't leave, I mean, it's, that's not what it's about. It's about what's going on here, which makes it a little harder. I mean, a lot of the stuff is in our heart. It's best buried down. And so my, my exhortation to you and to me, and I was telling Teresa on the way here, um, I could preach this message and be doing it and, and be missing it. It is so slippery. But where you can't go wrong is to continue to find a place for the Lord in your life. Lord, I don't know about yesterday, I don't know about last week, I don't know about last month, but right now, you got it. You got it all. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray that for us and for myself. Lord, we, Lord, I thank you for your word and just the richness that is there. And Lord, uh, you have designed each person in this room. Lord, you have sown things into our hearts. Uh, Lord, thank you for that. Lord, thank you that you're the giver of life. And Lord, there's nowhere else we can turn other than you. And so, Lord, we turn to you. We, we choose to let go of those things we've been trying to produce life from. And Lord, for some of us, maybe it's just really obvious it's pornography or something. But Lord, um, for many of us, it, it's, probably a, it's probably a little different in Lord, we need your help to show us for what it is. So, Lord, our our prayer is that first and foremost that you would start with us. Lord, I pray for this congregation. That that people would, who visit would go, you know, I don't, all I know is God's there. And it's not because the, the building's perfect or the preaching is perfect or the music is perfect. It's just, you know, God's there. There's life. Lord, I pray that would be a hallmark of this congregation. Lord, it's your presence that distinguishes us from all the people of the earth. Lord, we are, we are desperately in need of your presence. So, Lord, we ask this with confidence, knowing we're asking according to your will. You've already told us. And we ask with confidence in Christ's name. Amen.